A few months back, I hosted Beth Cantor and Allison Fine, and we talked about the power of artificial intelligence and how it can be used in nonprofits. I was pretty damn impressed with myself that I could keep up with the conversation. Today, I believe this may be the podcast equivalent of a podcast host toddler being thrown in the deep end of the pool without swimmies. I recognize here that I am taking a big risk. I met with today's guest a few weeks ago, and he was so excited about his work that he practically claimed flying through the Zoom at me. I heard the words donor advised fund. I do understand what that is. And from there, we moved to Bitcoin. And I thought, oh, yes, some kind of cryptocurrency. I felt modestly well-educated. When he told me that his platform for giving is built on the Ethereum blockchain, my eyes began to roll slowly back into my head, and I moved from feeling modestly intelligent to feeling totally clueless. And yet today I am going to persevere. In fact, we all are. Some of you listening may actually be quite well-versed in the world of cryptocurrency, and to each of you I say, good for you. For most of us, this is alien territory. Why should we care? First, because some folks donate in cryptocurrency, and only a few large nonprofits know what to do with that. Secondly, because my guest is a man with a mission to drive more dollars into the nonprofit sector, he has launched the first donor-advised fund on the Ethereum blockchain. Robbie assures me that this new venture is not just for super wealthy folks who have access to cryptocurrency, but that in fact what he has launched may dem democratize donor-advised funds in a game-changing way. I will try to help navigate this conversation so that we all learn together. I make no promises. My guest is clearly ridiculously smart, but I made him promise that he'd go very slowly and be kind to Luddites like me. Shall we give this a go? Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. Learn more at joangary.com. I'm a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Robbie Heger is the president and CEO of Endowment, the nation's first community foundation to be powered by a blockchain. Endowment accepts more than 150 different crypto assets as donations to its donor-advised funds, enabling donors to make charitable contributions with crypto while organizations receive grant awards as dollared wired directly into their traditional bank accounts as U.S. dollars. Heger is a self-taught software engineer who began working on Endowment after spending seven years working for Apple's media products division. He lives in San Francisco with his fiance Ariel and their three-year-old Corgi, Squid. Robbie, thanks for joining me. That is a great intro. Thank <laughs> you for having me. Wow, this is going to be good. So <laughs> um, 
I think the way this conversation will be most helpful to listeners is for you, Robbie, to be patient with me and perhaps Mm -hmm. to pretend that I'm maybe like 12 years old. In fact, one of the best Mother's Day cards I ever got was from my my eldest daughter who um, made a card that said... You're like an eight-year-old trapped in a grown-up's body, and I hope you never change. <laughs> so uh, let's talk to that eight-year-old trapped inside me. Um, Got it. Because I might ask the questions a 12-year-old might ask, um, and seriously, I want folks to get this. I want nonprofit leaders to understand the opportunity and the promise of your work. That's why I thought this would be a really interesting conversation. So let's see if we can go with that, okay? Yeah, agreed, agreed. Sounds like plan. All right, so let's start with the basics, Robbie Heger. Sure. What is cryptocurrency? And just to have shared definition. Actually, maybe we start there because because I want to know if Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are synonymous. So start with what is cryptocurrency? Mm-hmm. How is it different from a good old-fashioned United States dollar? So cryptocurrencies power uh, crypto networks. And Bitcoin is one of these networks, okay? And, and people refer to each specific network as a blockchain because what they are made up of is a big chain of all the previous transactions that have ever happened in that network. Basically, cryptocurrencies are payment networks. That's the simplest way to think of them. They, they so payment networks. With, so give me an example of, so I, I, I'm, I'm going to yeah, yeah, yeah. stay at you. What's a, give Let's me another, give me an example of a payment network that people would be familiar with. Yeah, so um, uh, Visa is a payment network. You can use your Visa at different merchants and you can give them some of your money in exchange for some of their goods. You know, when you write a check, there's a routing number and yep. a bank account number. That's a payment network, okay? So it's different banks are the different routing numbers and the different accounts are all the different account holders. And there's and there's a network that connects these different banks together. They're called the Automated Clearinghouse or ACH. Right. Or it, you, you might've heard of the ABA or SWIFT. These are, these are all payment networks. And so you're telling and, me that cryptocurrency is actually not currency per se, but actually a payment network. Cryptocurrencies are the native unit of account inside of these payment networks. Okay. 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 It's how they function. They are inextricable from a blockchain. If somebody says, I'm in the blockchains and not in the cryptocurrencies, you're missing the broader point. Actually, if they said that to me, I wouldn't know what in the wide world of sports they were talking about. So (laughs) so if they said that to me, I'd say, I'm sorry, I I have another meeting. So wait, Mm -hmm, wait, mm -hmm, wait, wait, wait. Don't go to blockchain yet. I haven't gotten to blockchain yet. I don't think. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. what's the relationship between Bitcoin? So here's an example. I hope my son never listens to this podcast. (laughs) He got ripped off by somebody, by a scam of some sort, where he was going to buy a car on what he thought was Amazon, and they said they wanted to be paid in Bitcoin. Yes. Don't roll your eyes in the back of your head. I saw that. I'm not. I'm not. Okay. All right. And he had to go all (laughs) over Philadelphia to find Bitcoin. So I assumed he was looking for 
I'm, I'm, I'm 63 years old. Forgive me. I thought he was going to look for some ATM that delivered coins to him that he was actually going to send <laughs> right, to the right, scam right. artist in Maine for the car mm-hmm. he never received. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he did say he ultimately found, he did find Bitcoin. I didn't ask him how he found it because I was so furious that he actually went looking for it. Anyway, where were we? I think it's important to understand with these with these cryptocurrencies and these and 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 the blockchains that go with them is that these are basically just internet assets. They're internet-based assets. So there is no place where you go to pick up the coins, right? You just need an internet connection, okay? okay. And if you have an internet connection, you can connect to these payment networks. And what these payment networks offer are the ability for people to make sub-currencies, so to speak. So different currencies that perform different actions inside these payment networks. And we don't need to get too far down the road there because that's exciting and interesting, but it's very technical. And I think what we should... Uh, the other stuff you were talking about, about was not technical? I just want to make sure. No, I'm clarifying no, no, no. between... Because once anybody, you get to sub, sub-currencies, anybody, I thought, uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Anybody can understand cryptocurrencies. It's just like any other uh, system of exchanging value. So if you have some dollar bills and you give me your dollar bills, now I have them those dollar bills. In the same way, if I have some Bitcoins and I send them to you and I send those Bitcoins to you, now you have some Bitcoins. And society agrees on its value through open markets, right? And, it, and, and, it's, how- and it is and it is like electronic fund. It's like, it's like transferring funds over the internet in a different kind of way. Yeah, you're exchanging these things of value, these Bitcoins, and you're sending them to your friend as a payment. And so they take control of them and only they now have control of them. You can't go and send those Bitcoins again. You lost control of them. And what's exciting about blockchains is that they do this in a trustless way where you don't actually have any one central authority guaranteeing the exchange of these two assets. So if I want to pay you some Bitcoin and you want to receive some Bitcoin from me, we don't have a company that we go to. We don't go to the Bitcoin company and say, hey, can you pass this over to Joan, right, over the internet? Instead, there's a community of people, thousands of people running the Bitcoin software on their computer, all working together to process transactions on this payment network. Okay, so um, let's, let's, let's define the term blockchain. For everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A blockchain is a big, long list of transactions, starting with the very first transaction in a payment network. So the first person to say, I want to give you, Jones, some Bitcoins, they had the first entry in the blockchain. Okay. And every transaction after that is a product of the change in balance from that first transaction. So if I did the first one to you and you went off and sent a hundred different transactions to a hundred different people, and they went off and sent a hundred transactions to a hundred different people, right? All of those transactions get recorded as one big long list. And that is what a blockchain is. It's a data file that has a big, huge list of all the transactions that have ever happened on the payment network. And so in, in that, in the situation you just described, you're like agent zero in the blockchain. You, you yeah, started called the-, the Genesis block. <laughs> <laughs> it's very biblical. 
it's very, very biblical. It's okay. the Genesis block. Okay, so, yeah. uh, uh, all right. And um, so there's this blockchain. Okay, I think I even know what a blockchain, like, I think I get the blockchain thing. So mm-hmm. um, but let's go back to this whole issue of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Like, if I wanted to get involved, like, I, I can uh, Venmo. And I can do Chase mm-hmm. Zell. Um, mm-hmm. Could you teach me how to? What would what would incent me to want to get involved in cryptocurrency as a as a particular individual? Like, why would I? Why what? Why would I want to do that? I think it's a similar question to people in the early days of the internet say, "Well, I have a yellow pages entry." Why would I want a web page or why would I want to be indexed on Google? Um, This is internet transaction of money. This is moving money on the internet without any company standing in the middle as a middleman. So when you say you can Venmo me or you can Zell me or you can, you know, um, use Cash App, for example, all of those providers are businesses, and they're making they're making money off of my transaction to send Ben real money. And on top of that, they have limits on how much you can send. Correct. They'll charge Correct. fees if you go overboard. Right. Uh, they they can take days sometimes to settle a transaction across across two different accounts. And what we have with these internet-empowered payment networks, which is what Bitcoin, coming back to your first question, what is a blockchain? What is cryptocurrency? Cryptocurrency and blockchains work together to create internet-based payment networks. Okay. And what that does is it allows us to pay people, anybody in the entire world, or really anybody with an internet connection. So you could be on the International Space Station, and as long as you had your Bitcoin wallet with you, you could have all of your money with you. All you need is an internet connection. I was. Doing, I don't think I'm going to the International piece. Space Station anytime <laughs> soon. I remember I'm the one in the deep end of the pool without the swimming. So I'm not thinking yeah. I'm going to the space station. Um, I guess what's important to understand here is that it is a permissionless, publicly available, internet-enabled payment network. And that is a huge disintermediation of the system from what we have today with companies standing between us and our money. Yes. And uh, and with central entities, you know, facilitating the movement of cash between bank accounts. Am I, uh, so recognizing that we're talking to people who run nonprofits and work at nonprofits, yes. I should, should I care about this because um, this is a growing trend and that more and more people are going just like I never heard of Venmo before my kids hit college that Mm -hmm. at some point in the not too distant future this is going to be a growing trend in which many people are going to to pay for things this way yeah you know I think it's worth mentioning that at the peak of the 2017 market cycle where everybody was last clamoring about cryptocurrency when Bitcoin touched $20,000, the total market cap of all the cryptocurrencies, so all the dollar value in cryptocurrencies was at its highest around $700 billion. 
And right now, today, it stands at $2.1 trillion. Okay. So what we've seen in the last four years is a tripling of the size of the cryptocurrency market. From its previous peak, it's already tripled in size. And we're seeing Visa handling transaction processing on the Ethereum blockchain in the same way that actually the nonprofit that I run, Endowment, processes dollar transactions. And we're seeing, you know, world banks, you know, central banking authorities basically saying that they're going to make digital versions of their dollars or central bank digital currencies. You know, we're seeing banks and companies putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet uh, to the tune of billions and billions of, uh, of dollars coming into the crypto market. I think corporate America is taking a huge corporate global corporations, multinational corporations and governments alike are taking huge steps towards this new financial infrastructure because they see it as the future. So, um, as, so as much as I may be poking fun at my lack of knowledge, that would also be called my ignorance about this, that for listeners who are feeling more like me than you, the reason to be, at, the reason to be p- paying attention here is that this is a growing market where people are going to want to donate to nonprofits using cryptocurrency. That's a simple yes or no question, Robbie. Yes. Okay, great. More people are going to have more of their net worth housed in uh, digitized assets and in, 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 in blockchain held assets. Okay. And, so uh, here's another question. Yeah. So I have always assumed, and I, again, because I'm a Luddite here, I was always assuming that it was only rich people um, uh, what you, what I think you call crypto natives that that it, that this was an elitist form of payment that this was that this was not a not a sandbox that everyone played in or actually even could play in. But you're telling me that's not true. Is that a myth you want to is- bust? Yeah, I, I I think we can pretty safely bust that myth, both with um through the way that you know companies like Tesla and Twitter are putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, but also through the way that you know people are beginning to understand the power of interacting with digital programmable money. And that that is something that Anybody who transacts value ever will have a need for the underlying technologies that the blockchain provides, that this will become the way that the world transacts value. And as a result, that means it will be the way that people do their charitable giving. Right. Um, One more question before I get you talking about endowment, okay? Mm -hmm. Which is, um, is, this may be another myth you get to bust, that I had, I guess I had, at least in my head, assumed that this was, that that cryptocurrency was speculative, that it was risky, that it wasn't safe. And, um, uh, and maybe I'm the only one who's, who, who had that (laughs) myth. I don't, I don't know, but I'm the only one who's hosting this podcast. So I get to ask. Yeah, sure. No, no, no. Yeah. You're allowed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, cryptocurrencies fluctuate a lot in their value. And, um, but not all of them do. Uh, some are stable in value and some are pegged to the value of the dollar. 
Some are pegged to the value of the euro. Some are pegged to the pound or the renminbi or the yen. And you can create digital currencies that are reflective of the, you know, potential growth of the technology and thus will fluctuate in value as people see it becoming more or less valuable. Or you can actually have what are called stable coins. And stable coins are like digital dollars. And those are basically programmable money that will always be redeemable for $1 at certain service providers. It's basically like a, a mechanism to get your dollars into the system. And so it's not all speculative. There are certainly parts of it that are speculative, without a doubt. And it's, it's, it's not a myth that the cryptocurrency, you know, industry is speculative, but that doesn't mean that the benefits of the technology only come with the poison pill of the speculation. You can get the benefits of the technology of internet powered transaction networks, of payment networks without having the, oh my God, it's 30% gone today. And then it's 50% back tomorrow. And then it's 10% gone the next day. No, you, you can get access to the technology without access to the volatility. Got it. So anybody who's out there thinking if someone gives me $10,000 in cryptocurrency and it arrives to me, it might not actually be $10,000 when it gets there. I, uh, depending on what kind it is, th that isn't necessarily true. Yeah. So it's actually a really good segue to talk about endowment because Please. what we're trying to do is to make it as easy and frictionless as possible for nonprofit organizations to accept gifts in dollars that originated as cryptocurrency. Because what we hear from most nonprofit organizations is we've got program needs, we've got staff that needs to get paid, we've got programs that need to get funded, we're doing that grassroots work. And what we want to do is get dollars into the hands of our operators, contractors, vendors, employees. Totally. And they don't want the exposure to the underlying risk. And so what we've created is a simple mechanism to allow donors to give cryptocurrency and gift it out to organizations as dollars. And that's what our donor advised fund program provides to users. It's the ability to arrive with crypto, give it without having to sell it themselves. It gets exchanged for dollars by endowment. And then they get to choose and recommend the organizations that it goes to as dollars. And once they've made those recommendations, we come to an organization and we say, hi, we have these crypto-backed dollars, basically. These, these, these digital dollars sitting in our wallet waiting for you. They're held in escrow for you. And do you want them? And if you want them, we'll take your bank account information and send you a wire in the same day. And it will come out from the blockchain in through a wire to your bank account as dollars. So tell me about um, how you cooked up this idea to do this. You know, I'm a donor advice fund holder myself before I was a nonprofit um, leader, I guess, <laughs> if you can call me <laughs> that at this point. Today, um, today you get called that, yeah. Okay, so before I was a nonprofit leader, I was a donor advice fund holder. And, um, you know, I'm having an experience that 30 million Americans are having, uh, which is an awakening to the potential of this new asset class, this new cryptocurrency asset class. Right. And as you 
take gains on 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 cryptocurrency investments that you make. Um, in just like as you take gains on stock investments that you make, you decide that you you know. Some people decide. I I have I have always liked to give some of my stock away, and uh, use that as a method to offset some of my tax obligation while also getting to control and um, support the uh, different like issue areas that I care about that I feel passionate about, mm-hmm. and, and and to and to have a say over how that money gets passed out after the fact instead of having to just give it all to one organization at the time of gift. And, um, and so I approached my existing donor advice fund provider, which is a great community foundation uh, in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Jewish Community Foundation and Endowment Fund. And um, me and my brother had a DAF there. And I approached them and I asked them if they were interested in accepting cryptocurrency because I didn't have any more stock to give. I basically... My my personal lifestyle was being funded by cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. and so that's what I had to give away. Right, and um, so I approached them and asked them if they would take a gift of crypto, and um, they were like, kind of like looked at me a little bit like I was crazy, and but they were intrigued and excited about it and wanted to get in like you, wanted to get into the deep end with the swimmies on. And they've been like the most amazing partner. Um, I basically uh, said, you know, they, they, they said, we don't have a way to process that kind of gift, but like we're all ears on how to get it done. And I suggested that I would come with some software to the table that would sort of officiate it for us. And, um, and that's when I started working on endowment was when uh, there wasn't any other option really to give crypto to a DAF provider. I started saying, okay, well, maybe I can create a crypto DAF. Um, like one of the original names for endowment was like crypto DAF. And, <laughs> and so like, it was, it's really just meant to replicate a donor advised fund. And, and that was the original idea. During COVID lockdown, I took time from Netflix binging to rewrite my book, Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I wanted to make sure that board and staff leaders had a new guide to help them to navigate a very different world, one where old rules don't apply and some new rules will be critical to thriving. This version is now in paperback and you can learn more at book.joangary.com. So, um, so uh, you'll tell me if this is a... a valuable question or not, but could you not have started a company to sell this capability to the hundreds of thousands of donor advice funds around the country? You know, I think we are coming to the plate as um, a new donor advice provider. But you could have, right? You could have actually figured out this technology and said, just like Salesforce or somebody else, I am selling your uh, this product to you to allow you to accept crypto and then convert it into U.S. dollars and marketed it as a for-profit adventure to um, community foundations to people who have DAFs. Is that true? Yeah, you know, we talked about doing that. Uh-huh. We have discussed that. And there are two, two entities, actually, um, that make up endowment more broadly. 
Okay. Um, from a theoretical standpoint, there is endowment.org, which is the nonprofit that yep. offers donor advised funds. And there's endowment tech. And endowment tech uh, creates the platform. Okay. Is the software company that creates the platform. And we think that there's value in the software that we've created that it helps bring a tax-efficient vehicle to the crypto landscape in a way that's regulatorily compliant. So we offer somebody a, you know, what what is lacking in the crypto space right now is sort of like tax-efficient vehicles that are regulatorily compliant. Um, Not everybody has the status to go off and say that this this, uh, contribution is tax-deductible. And as certainly not a lot of people have the infrastructure to do so in a way that uses the the blockchain technology natively as its core facilitator of the donor advised fund. And so we actually think that this is done better, that donor advised funds are facilitated better by the blockchain. We have a different business model than most donor advised fund providers actually. And, um, and are focused on making the argument that this technology, that blockchains provide for a more transparent and effective and efficient mechanism for providing donors with a donor advised fund platform. And that like the way that current community foundations facilitate um, donor advised funds is uh predominantly through the Salesforce, like you said, BlackBot, Ren PSG has an offering, you know, there's all these sort of offshoot software companies that exist out there. And I think what we're doing is trying to serve a very specific population in the cryptocurrency investor as a donor class. And that means that it's not really our space to come in and try and push Salesforce or Ren PSG or Blackbot out. We're trying to widen the pie. There's 2 trillion new dollars of wealth that's been created out there. And we think that they're going to want to see um, a donor advised fund platform that feels like the other pieces of software that they're using in the crypto landscape that I feels see. familiar so, to them. That's interesting. So I, I might be actually able to take my swimmies off soon. So what I think wow. I'm hearing, All right. yeah, yeah, don't, 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 maybe, maybe I spoke too soon, but, um, so you, so you and you would be a competitor of others who are trying to figure out a way to help donor advised funds accept cryptocurrency and convert them into U.S. dollars. But you said, rather than do that, why don't we create our own donor advised fund? Um, that is friendly to the people who are in this space already, who are holding on to $2 trillion worth of assets, some of which should find their way into the hands of nonprofits around the country and around the world. And that if you are more familiar to those I think the word is crypto natives, they're more likely to give you more of that money to spread more widely to nonprofits that would benefit from it. How's that? That's exactly right. And it raises this really 
important paradox that we deal with at endowment all the time, which is let's make something that is as savvy, crypto savvy as possible while trying to get nonprofit organizations who are just trying to get into the shallow end of the water of cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. How do we make it such that the pool can support both of them, right? How do we make it such that our offering is really easy for nonprofits to get their grant awards out of and e- easy for them to understand what's happening too, right? And where is this money coming from? Why is it easier to do this on the blockchain? Like why am, why am I taking the time from my staff's day to have them onboard into this new platform? Because why? And what we need on the other side of the equation is, a, is, is philanthropic capital to motivate these organizations to come into our ecosystem. Right. And so what we need to do is build this very crypto savvy product that's built on the services and software that they're used to using all the time that puts charitable giving right in front of their eyes at the moment where they're earning interest or yield on their assets at the moment where they're figuring out their taxes about how much tax do I owe on their cryptocurrency earnings over the past year. How can we put right in front of them? If you gave away this much, this would maximize your deduction. How do we work with tax preparers to automate that calculation? right? So much of this is about the advantage of programmatics. Well, there's also, if I, if I'm hearing you right, Robbie, what it's also doing is rather than the more people know about what you're doing, the more that crypto natives know about what you're doing, the more it's part of their annual equation of what to do with their cryptocurrency, as opposed to you should be donating money. And that person saying, I could, I, I, you know, I, I generally use cryptocurrency and I know that that's sort of alien to most nonprofits. So I don't know how to deal with that. And so then maybe I call, you know, I call my favorite nonprofit that looks at me like I have four heads that I have cryptocurrency. And then, and then it's mm-hmm. just like, it's like you've dis- disincented the crypto native from making a donation as opposed to marketing this DAF in such a way that it's part of the whole profile of, you know, sort of how they think about their wealth. And they at that time can say, oh, so I can put some of my crypto in this DAF that Robbie has created. And then Robbie will, you know, some will figure out how, however, the donor advised fund, he can help me figure out maybe who to give that money to. And then Robbie calls me up at, you know, xyz.org and says, there's some crypto, you know, a donor uh, wants to give you money. And it it came through. It's not crypto. Money, it, it's right? just money. There's a yeah. there, there's a donor who's given you a hundred thousand dollars, and I don't have to yeah. worry about how how it arrived. I don't even have to understand anything we just talked about. Actually, <laughs> the easiest I just have way to, to solve I, an education problem is to eliminate it. Very excellent. Excellent. Um, we are having a um, actually a very interesting conversation about the world of cryptocurrency and its relationship or lack thereof currently to the nonprofit sector with Robbie Heger. He is the president and CEO of Endowment. Now, it says the nation's first community foundation to be powered by a blockchain. 
Um, Heger's a self-taught uh, software engineer. He began working on this after spending seven years working in Apple's media products division. But I was I would rewrite this bio of yours, Mr. Heger, and I would say Robbie Heger is the president and CEO of Endowment, the nation's first community foundation for and about crypto natives that fuels the nonprofit sector with U.S. dollars from the crypto community without you all having to do anything other than spend the money on good things. That's exactly, exactly what we're going for. <laughs> um, how, when did you start it? And I want to know what yeah. your, I, when did you start it? How's it going? And what's your aspiration, Robbie? Mm, wow, that's going to be a big one. The aspiration is a big question. I'm looking for, I'm going to take the other ones first. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, I started it, I started working on this in um, April 2019. Okay. Uh, I, uh, I really was in a position where I had been working at a big corporate job and been doing the commute and the grind for years and only having one swim lane to work on and no time to learn anything. You know, it was, um, you really were an expert in your craft and that was, and that was the thing you did. And I had just left that environment and I really wanted to attack my weaknesses. I, I saw this as like an opportunity to learn something new. Um, and so I taught myself how to code. Okay. I, um, I basically never knew how to code. Um, I never took classes in college. I, you know, and I knew that everyone was doing these boot camps and there were people doing, you know, like Khan Academy or Udemy or General Assembly, you know, all these why ending education um, <laughs> uh, uh, learning platforms. And I was like, okay, you know, like I, I, I don't really want to know what I'm doing right now. I just want to work on me a little bit. And so I taught myself how to code. And at the end of a couple of classes, I took about five or six classes. And at the end of them, I, I was, I was kind of torn between taking more classes or trying to do something, trying to do a project, right? Like, okay, can, can you go out? Can you make something? Yeah. And I knew I was into crypto and I had taken one of the classes I'd taken was like how to code onto the blockchain, like okay. how to, how to make transactions, right? We were talking about payment networks. And so like when you're, when you're working on a payment network, you want to make a transaction. And so I took this class about how to make trans, how to add transactions to the blockchain. And, um, and so I knew that I wanted to be in that space and I knew that I wanted to do something technical. And um, I knew that I wanted to do work of impact. I had really been working on like big consumer technology and it didn't have a lot of like, societal impact, cultural significance. Um, it had cultural significance, but like it didn't, it didn't have the feel, it, it didn't have the feel good. It felt a little detached sometimes. There was a, there and, was a, 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 a missing component of purpose, right? Yeah, that, that is definitely right. And, um, and so 
at that same time, I was having the discussion with the San Francisco Jewish Community Federation about like, I want to give you guys some crypto. And that's those the the stars just kind of aligned where we were having that conversation. And I was getting to this point with my coding where like I could maybe cook something up. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I was like, OK, I'm going to make a crypto task. Oh, sick. You know, like <laughs> this is going to be awesome. And at first, I just wanted to see if I could do it for myself. You know, like I wanted to use this. I was like, I just needed to do one transaction and then I can go back to thinking about like what the rest of my career looks like. And, you know, blink, blink fat, blink too fast and it goes right by you. You know, two years later, we're now, um, you know, we just processed our first, we we, we just hit our first seven figures of of gifts inbound. So just past a million dollars of gifts and a million dollars of grants. That's so, great. Um, we are, you know, just kind of keeping at it. We applied for our 501c3 at the beginning of the pandemic mm-hmm. before we really knew the pandemic was going to happen. Um, right at the beginning of March last year, we filed for our 501c3. Um, and we weren't expecting that to come back anytime soon and because of the lockdown. And then in June, we heard back, which was which was really amazing. Um, uh Kudos. I don't know how the IRS did it, um, but uh, we we got the the tax exempt public charity distinction, and um, uh, we were able to go to market. You know, able to put this project out as just the bare minimum, just the donor advised fund. Right, and that happened in October of last year, and. You know, um, this spring we've really started to see as the market picks up, we're starting to see donations pick up. And that's a really encouraging sign because it means uh, people are getting more sophisticated about how they take gains, right? They're starting to think more about how do I fold in philanthropic activity into my, you know, family wealth management, um, into my crypto wealth management. And that is a major sign of just this new donor category coming online, which is cryptocurrency investor. And when when we talk to nonprofits, their eyes just like, Wah! you know, like it's this huge, like, oh, that is a group of people we would have never thought we could have kind of reached or 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 been able to to resonate with. And so to have the technology component, you know, bridging the gap for them, I think has been has been really exciting for both nonprofits and donors at the same time who who want to make a difference. Um, so um, aspirations are hard to um, get your arms around. And I, I, I saw you sort of deer in headlights on me when I asked that question. So I'm going <laughs> to ask it. So I'm going to ask it in a different way. And I, we have time for two substantive questions. So okay. let me, I'm going to rephrase okay. my question and say, I'll try to be quick so you can squeeze in three. I'll be um, extra concise. What does success look like for you one year out, two years out? How will you know, Robbie, that all of this was that you actually have? So I see you as trying to catalyze, right? That that you're trying to be a catalyst for both um, uh, getting crypto natives to think more holistically about using crypto for charity, to drive more charitable dollars into the sector, 
right? This is, I mean, I, I, I see you as a catalyst in that way and that you've built this platform mm-hmm. to do that. So, um, mm-hmm. so what does success look like for you um, yeah. a year or two after? Great how, question. how will you know, gee, this was really worth it. I do feel a real sense of purpose. I, I'm guessing with your million bucks already, you're feeling, you're feeling that. But I just wonder, where does it go? You know, we're just getting started. And I think the reason why you felt that sort of aversion for me is like, we don't know what size the cryptocurrency market is going to wind up being. And we don't know what the size of, there's a sub industry inside cryptocurrency called decentralized finance. And it's basically financial services providers built atop the blockchain, right? And we consider ourselves a part of decentralized finance or DeFi. And, you know, DeFi has gone from, you know, millions of dollars in assets under management to $52 billion today locked in DeFi contracts. You know, people using $52 billion in productive assets on blockchains um, through decentralized finance providers. The, The Fidelity Charitable gave out $7 billion in grants last year. Mm hmm. You know, I think we we see a, a huge, huge playing field in front of us uh-huh. that is measured with with uh, with with billions, not millions. And um, you know, we would like to see that us hit that goal, but I also don't think that that's all of it right? Like, I think there's a blessing and a curse in setting for yourself these sort of um, assets under management goals. Like the question is not have you gotten that money committed to philanthropy, but have you deployed it? Yeah. And have you instilled a culture of philanthropy in a new investor class that's young and impressionable? Mm-hmm. And are you building a business model that better supports the health of the nonprofit sector spelled P H E T, you know, like I think we have a lot of different internal measures for success and a lot of different core values that are beyond how much money we get into the system. Right. And I think the way that we add transparency to the grant making process for DAFs by recording every grant on the blockchain that by creating a, a Rolodex for every 501c3 in the country with a Ethereum-based address that is an escrow contract that you know is tax deductible if you're contributing to it. Yeah. You know, like this is putting together a, um, the scaffolding for the nonprofit industry to transition away from paper checks and into the world of digital programmable money. And that has way more to do than how much money do we get committed to philanthropy? I think we want to see, you know, we took all the 990s from all of the top 25 community foundations and made a list of all of the grantees. And there's 10,000 grantees basically that make up the bulk majority of all the top community foundations. And I think we want to see that number balloon to 100,000. There are 1.5 million nonprofits in the United States. And right now, you know, 1% of them effectively 
are actively granted to by the leading community foundations. How do we make a community foundation that's more representative of, of the American experience or of the global experience of nonprofits? And, and, and how do we have that community found, foundation serve um, its community in a way that is uh, more global in nature? where you're seeing people have access to not just the, the organizations that are nearby, but also the big organizations that, that catch their attention. That, you know, I, I, I think we can set goals for ourselves when it comes to money, but we've got to think beyond that from a technological development standpoint about how we make a better giving experience. Well, by the way, you may have shied away from that notion of an aspiration, but I believe you just articulated one, just so you know. Um, <laughs> so um, there's one a tactical question, and then I want you to offer my list, uh, offer our listeners some advice before we end. Um, right on. Uh, so you're a 501c3. Where does your funding come from? or where, And where will it come from? Yeah, so we're a 501c3 based out of California. Nonprofit Public Benefit Corporation. Um, and our funding has primarily come through, uh, through gifts from um, primarily myself at this point. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're bootstrapping right now. Um, we are in the process of finalizing a fundraise that I'm excited to talk about in the near future, um, where we're bringing on uh, both some philanthropic partners as well as some venture partners. And I think that we'll see us get to hit a new scale, a new speed of growth. And, um, you know, we're really at the very early days here. Yeah. So our funding has has come predominantly from myself right now. And um, uh, what what an honor it's been. Like, couldn't think of anything else I'd rather be doing right now. And um, I think it's going to be just a huge opportunity for an industry that's so pivotal to our to our everyday healthy functioning as a society to have access to this technology in a way that is, you know, as frictionless as possible and to this donor base in a way that's as frictionless as possible. And yeah. um, that's how, that's how we're getting there. Um, I'm really, um, it's, it's actually a really inspiring story now that I actually kind of understand it. Um, <laughs> no, I, Thank I, you. I, I, I actually understand this I really and it is very that. inspiring, right? Is, is, um, and it, I wasn't kidding you that what you just said was aspirational and really, really important. And um, and I suppose I suppose I the last question is one I want I would like to ask on behalf of the people who are listening. Is so I'm a nonprofit leader, and I've just learned and listened. I've listened to you talk about this. Um, what advice do you have for me? If I'm a executive director and I could be, you could be listening, we could be listening. Sorry, let me try that again. People could be listening who are run big nonprofits or small mm -hmm. ones, right? Um, what advice would you give them as they, as they start to, you know, as they listen to this, um, what should they be doing? Should educating themselves, thinking about, um, to, to be ready for this kind of shift? Or do they just wait for you to call and say, hey, I got money for you? Well, I think 
that organizations who want to get ahead of the curve on this can take some really simple, easy steps towards being less uh, in shock when they hear from a donor that they want to give them cryptocurrency. And the mm -hmm. first thing that you should know is that there are options that take away all of the risk from a nonprofit standpoint about getting dollars delivered to you. And from my vantage point, with all of the bias that comes with it, the easiest of those options is to come to endowment.org, search for your organization, and submit a claim for that organization using your organization's existing bank account information. That will enable you to direct any donor who wants to give any major cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, Litecoin, you name it, Ethereum-based assets until your eyes are spinning in the back of your head. They can come to endowment, open a fund, put in those crypto assets to that fund, and make a grant to you as dollars that gets wired out straight into your bank account. And that process is very straightforward. And I think that's just the first step in an organization beginning to understand, begin to plan for the major sea change that's going to happen in the way that the world transacts its value using blockchains. It can be very overwhelming to start thinking about the size and the breadth and the number of industries that are impacted by blockchain technology. It mm -hmm. truly can be overwhelming, much like thinking about the internet was overwhelming at the early days. It was right. like, what do you mean? Everything gets eaten by software, you know? And I think it's important to focus on just replicating what you do today, making sure that you have access to this fire hose of capital and that you put yourself in front of that hose. And the easiest way to do that is to go to endowment.org, search for your organization, and submit a claim using your existing bank account information. And we'll take the rest from there. We can start teaching you about self-custody wallets. We can start teaching you about DeFi. We can start showing you the ropes with other service providers when it comes to donation processing and treasury management and all of that fun stuff. But take the first step by just making sure you have access that when a donor comes up to you and says, I'd like to give you some cryptocurrency, instead of looking at them and feeling like, I don't know what to say to you, you can say confidently, not a problem. I've got a website I can send you to. This will make it super easy for you and super easy for me. Go get set up on a down. Fabulous. Um, just a, a very tactical question. What if my organization is not listed? Can I add it? If your organization is not listed on endowment, one of two things could have happened. One is that um, GuideStar, our data provider, provided by Candid, um, might have uh, might not have your organization listed yet if you're brand new, or um, might not have um, your organization classified correctly for our due diligence parameters. Okay. We have great documentation about our due diligence parameters on docs.endowment.org. But in general, um, if you're not showing up in search, that means we unfortunately can't support making a grant to you because of your type of organization. And so we're doing some filtering on that front. And so if you don't see yourselves there, you can email me at Robbie at endowment.org. We can talk through it. Um, or you can uh, you know, email our, our, our sort of catch-all address at info at endowment.org. 
Um, so it's, it's spelled different from endowment. It's spelled E and Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. E N D A O M M E N T. Let's do it again. E N D A O D A O M E N T dot but it sounds That's like right. I, I yeah. didn't realize that. It sounds like your database is you're you've gotten your database from GuideStar. So if you're if you're in GuideStar somewhere, it's pretty likely you're there. If you're in GuideStar. And I encourage you to go to check out your org page. We've tried our best to make them beautiful and simple and you know, show your organization's logo if you provided that to GuideStar, show your organization's mission and website. You know, we're trying to have donors be able to educate themselves there in our platform as well as be bounced out quickly to your guys' own resources. Um, so um Robbie Heger, um this was this was really interesting for me. Um you did a great job of taking us through this. I hope I didn't send everybody into no, the but twilight if you th- zone again, in the first it, 10 No, but it felt like we needed <laughs> to start there so that we could get where we got to. Right. So I, I actually, mm-hmm. um, there is, um, this is kind of a welcome to the future, my friends. If you're not already there, um, Robbie's organization, endowment.org, is giving you the opportunity to enter the future with quite a bit of relative ease. Um, and, um, uh, and yeah, when somebody comes up to you and says, I'd like to give you money, you never want to look like a deer in the headlights and you never want to roll your eyes back into the back of your head. Yeah, and either. Robbie's or, or, or Robbie's, um, DAF is going to provide you with a, with a really good starting point. And I hope that this, um, podcast actually introduced you, if you are unfamiliar with this world, introduced you not only to the content, but the promise of the content. So, Robbie, thank you. Thank you, Joan. What uh, a pleasure. I will, I'll do this anytime you want. We could do we could do the 200 level class the next time if we want. I get, I, well, I, I, uh, <laughs> I thought it was really super interesting. One of the reasons that I do this podcast, and I think I told you this at the beginning, is that I make a list of questions that I do not know the answers to that I think my listeners might not know the answers to either. And then I go find interesting people. And sometimes interesting people are sent my way. And um, uh, as luck would have it, that's what happened here. And um, Robbie and I have not met, um, but I... In person, person. but I look forward to that very, very much. And I also happen to know that Robbie's got a wedding coming up. So there's a lot of joy, a lot of happiness come your way and um, joy, happiness and purpose. There's the trifecta for you, Robbie. Well, thank you for that. Um, Yeah, what a pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks again. All right. You take good care. And for everybody who's listening, um, uh, I hope you followed us all the way through. Might be worth a second listen, actually. And um, as always, thank you for the work that you do. Robbie spoke the truth when he said that it is the 1.5 million nonprofits out there that are the backbone of our society and um, doing the work uh, to repair the world in ways large and small. So thanks for joining us and I'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, 
Thanks for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.